0: Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at Candeochurch.com. In January of 1925, a horrible bacteria disease called diphtheria was ravaging a village in Nome, Alaska, and unfortunately it was targeting children who were wheezing, gasping for air, and ultimately dying. The only doctor in the village was doing the best he could, was trying to quarantine people, but he knew there was no hope without that antitoxin serum. Unfortunately, the closest serum was a 1,000 miles away in Anchorage, Alaska. And there was no way to get that serum to Nome uh, through plane or ship, just the reality of Alaska in the wintertime and the location of Nome. And the nearest train station was almost 700 miles away in Nanana, Alaska. So the territory's governor decided to put together a round-the-clock relay of sled dogs to transport the serum needed to the village. So on a cold night on January 27th, a train rolled in to Nanana, Alaska, and a guy by the name of Wild Bill Shannon strapped a 20-pound parcel of antitoxin serum to his sled. And he looked out in front of him and saw his nine sled dogs and the horrible winter conditions in front of him. And he knew what had to be done. This in history is often called the great race of mercy. And you can read it on History Channel's website, which is where I found those details. Or you could watch movies like Balto or Togo. Or you could watch the Iditarod race that happens every year up in Alaska to honor the over 20 mushers and 150 sled dogs who brought the serum to Nome. Save the children's lives. Now, I want to go to that moment where Wild Bill is strapping the parcel to his sled. And he's looking out at what's in front of him, and he knows why he's doing what he's about to do. It's to save the lives of these children in this village, ultimately. But I'm sure he had to think at some point, how in the world are we going to do this? That night was negative 60 degrees. So hypothermia and frostbite were very real realities for not only him, but the other mushers that were going to go ahead of him. How are we going to accomplish this impossible task? We've been going through John chapter 14. And last week, Stephen unpacked a passage that showed us why we obey Christ's commands. And it's very simple. It's because of Christ's glory. Because of the glory of Jesus, we obey his commands. I wanna ask a different question this morning. How do we obey those commands? Because if you look at the first verse of our passage, it says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. If we're being real, we go, man, we are broken. Fickle human beings that are quick to walk away from our Father. How in the world are we going to do that? It seems impossible. Well, that's what we're going to answer this morning. And in our passage, I'm going to give you four words that we need to embrace if we are to obey the commands of Christ. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 14. I'd say keep it open this whole morning. We're going to slowly work our way through this passage. But the first word I'm going to give you of something we need to embrace to obey Jesus is the word power. We need to embrace the power specifically of the Holy Spirit. Verse 16 says this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Now, I want you to remember the context of this passage. A couple weeks ago, Cody talked about at the beginning of chapter 14, this isn't a public setting. It's not a public debate. This is a very intimate moment with his disciples where he's comforting them. He knows he's about to go to his death and his death is going to shake the foundations of his disciples' faith. He knows what's coming. And so he's comforting them. And there's just this beautiful dialogue that happens in chapters 13 and 14. If you just look at the red letters and black letters in your Bible, there's a beautiful dialogue with Peter, Thomas, Philip, Judas, not Iscariot, the other Judas, But they're dialoguing with Jesus, and ultimately, it just kind of seems like they're lost and maybe a bit confused. But Jesus is promising them here, he's not gonna leave them as orphans. And in 16 and 17, he flips over his ace and he says, I am going to send you another counselor. Now, another counselor, we know he says that because Jesus is our counselor. The Greek word there is paraclete, he's our advocate, he's our helper. That's Jesus. But Jesus is saying, I'm sending another counselor, another paraclete. Who is this other counselor? Well, in verse 26, we learn it's the Holy Spirit. Now, there can be a lot of confusion when it comes to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And I want to give a lot of clarity this morning. I hope to give a lot of clarity because I've been influenced by theologians like Wayne Grudem and J.I. Packer, A.W. Tozer, and people like Jen Wilkin, Kyle Worley, J.T. English, who have so shaped my theology of the Holy Spirit that it's been such a blessing to my life and my theology. But unfortunately, I think there's so much mystery and confusion about the person of the Holy Spirit that people just tend to avoid him. Or they've had a negative consequence and their church passed, and they go, I want nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. Here's the problem with that thinking, either one of those. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 says, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. That's a command. So when we neglect or quench the Holy Spirit, we are in dangerous territory in a ditch that we need to avoid as believers. We are not called to neglect the Holy Spirit. We are called to be led by the Holy Spirit. And John 14 through 16 is the longest discourse we have in all of scripture that explains who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. So I wanna lay a foundation this morning for who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. And I wanna start by talking about what he, he is not. He is not the wind that's blowing in the air. He's not a ghost like you see in Scooby-Doo. He's not the force that you see in Star Wars. And uh, I'd say, let's get our pronouns right. He's not an it. He's a he. And I'm going to give you three things that are true about the Holy Spirit. The first is this. He is a person. The Holy Spirit is not a genie in a bottle that we make transactions with. We, we don't live our lives and then demand that the Holy Spirit just do whatever we want to do. He's not a force or genie we manipulate. He is a person that we commune with, that we walk with, that we are led by. He is a person. But second, and I want to be as clear as I can this morning on point number two here. He is God. He is God. We worship a God who is three persons in one essence, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We call that the Holy Trinity. And each person has unique roles within the Trinity. And what I mean by that is the Father didn't die on the cross. The Son did. And the Spirit does not send the Father the Father sends the Spirit in the name of the Son. Verse 26 will tell us that. So the Father and the Son send the Spirit. So three persons, and the, the Holy Spirit is typically referred to as the third person of the Godhead. But this does not mean that he is less than God. It would be a huge mistake to make in our theology. And you go, all right, Jordan, where do we see that in Scripture i we'll just turn to one passage. This will be on the screen. This is Acts 5, the beginning of the early church after Jesus has ascended and sent his Holy Spirit. It says, a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart, listen to this, to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it all at your disposal? Why is it you have planned this, this thing in your heart? Hear this, you have not lied to people, but to God. In the same breath, Peter is equating, you have lied to the Holy Spirit, which means you haven't lied to people, you have lied to God himself. Holy Spirit is God. And we worship our God three in one. I don't know if you guys grew up singing the doxology in your churches, but it ends by saying, praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We praise all three. So the Holy Spirit is worthy of all praise, honor, glory, and adoration. He is God. So what is it though that the Holy Spirit does? Well, there's many things that he does and we're gonna continue to learn as we walk through chapters 14 through 16. But check this out at the end of uh, verse 17. It says, he, the Holy Spirit, remains with you and will be in you. So there's your third point. The Holy Spirit will remain with you and is in you. Again, at the beginning of chapter 14, in Cody's passage, we talked about Jesus preparing a place for us. But here he is talking about preparing a, a place in us by his Holy Spirit who will be with us, guiding us and will give us power in the battle. This is extremely, extremely important for us to understand. This has so many implications. I'm just gonna give you one this morning, one implication of this. And I would say our prayer life should be impacted by this. I believe our prayers should be Trinitarian in nature. And what I mean by that is that we should be aware of all three persons of the Godhead. So for me personally, most of my prayers primarily are directed towards the Father. But I always want to be aware of the Son and the Holy Spirit as I'm praying. So for example, before I step up onto this stage, I was doing this 10 minutes ago. God, guide me by your Holy Spirit. Father, guide me by your Spirit. Holy Spirit, give me the words to say to edify, grow, and teach your church Or let's say somebody's sick, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, please heal them. Please show your son as magnified in their life and glorious in this time, even in their suffering. Or maybe you enter into a difficult conversation. This happens to me all the time where I go, Lord, I need your help right now. Guide me by your Spirit. Holy Spirit, help me know what to say. The Holy Spirit is called the capital H Helper. I think it's appropriate for us to ask for his help. It should impact our prayer life. He is with us and in us we are called to lean into him, be led by him and aware and sensitive to who he is and his presence. This is the reality of the Holy Spirit that should be so comforting to us. And this is what Jesus was doing here. He was comforting his disciples. He is sending the Holy Spirit. So if we are to obey Christ's commands, we need to embrace power by his spirit, but we also need to embrace relationship. Go back to the text. Verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will also love him and will reveal myself to him. Okay, there is a verse in here that I think if we were just skimming through, we would miss. But, but check out verse 20 in a powerful theology that's packed in there. I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Oftentimes in Christian circles, we call this union with Christ. We are in Christ. He is in us. We are in him. And there are a ton of implications that come with the reality that we have identified with Jesus and he has identified with us. I'll give you one implication this morning. If we are in Christ, it means we are in relationship with the one who loves us. So when I married Casey, we identified with one another at the altar in that that covenantal relationship. And our relationship is not perfect, but it is built on love. And that love looks like something, okay? So uh, my birthday was this past Thursday. And uh, actually, Jake asked me on Tuesday, he said, hey, so how old are you gonna be this Thursday? And I'm telling you guys, it took me way too long to answer that question. I think it was like 10 seconds or I'm like, how old am I, I did do math, I was like born in 88. So I am, I am 33 years old now, and which is probably a shock to some of you new people that are like, I thought I was being taught by a college student tonight or today, you know? Um, But I'm 33 now, and my wife just did an incredible job on my birthday. She gave me a couple super thoughtful gifts. Uh, She took me to one of our our favorite restaurants in the Cedar Valley. But the kicker was, she knew I I really wanted to see, um, so Marvel has this new movie, Shang Chi. She knew I wanted to see it. And so she got me tickets to watch it with uh, my brother who lives in Ames and a good friend of mine who lives in Ankeny. We're actually watching it tonight. And I was just blown away. I was so excited. And here's kind of the backstory on that whole thing. Um, Casey could care less about those kind of movies you know, any like sci fi, you know, anything that has laser beams or lightsabers she could care less she is way more interested and the reason why, is just, like it's just too unrealistic, I can't, I can't engage with lightsabers and things, right so, but she loves all sorts of other movies, action movies But the one type of movie she definitely loves is uh, Hallmark Christmas movies which is upon us she, she lo- oh man, uh, you guys are ripe with that. Oh man, so she, I, guys, I don't mind the Hallmark Christmas movie. I will gladly watch them with my wife. They're great, it's awesome. I just think it's funny because uh, to me, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings looks way more realistic than any Hallmark Christmas movie I have seen. Is that too far? No? I might get some hate mail later this week. Um, That's fine, I stand by it. The point is this, Casey could care less about that movie, but she loved me, she served me, she went out of her way and with a joy-filled heart. She she didn't come to me and go begrudgingly and go, here's your dumb present, happy birthday, you know? She was so excited to, to show me the surprises she had in store for me because what's true is that when we are in genuine relationships, that leads to genuine joy-filled action. Love looks like something. The same is true with Jesus. You can't get any more black and white than this. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. 24, the one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. If you are in Christ, you are in relationship with him, which means you love him, which means that love looks like something and it looks like obedience to his word. You can't love Jesus and not his word. Obedience is not a prerequisite to salvation, but it is the overflow of our love of the one who brought us into relationship with himself. All over scripture, we see this true love manifests itself in obedience. So how do we obey God's word? power, we embrace relationship, and third, we embrace scripture. Verse 25, I've spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. This is beautiful. The Holy Spirit whom Jesus has sent is going to help us to learn and be reminded of scripture. I love this because Jesus isn't walking away from his disciples going, good luck, right? He's sending a counselor to help them, to remind them of what's true. He's sending them literally the spirit of truth, verse 17. And I think it's worth noting, I just want to mention this this morning. um, Holy Spirit and the Holy Scripture are not enemies. I think sometimes people can go, well, I'm, I'm a Bible person, uh, Or other people, I'm a Holy Spirit person. As if they're at odds with one another. But they're not. You you can't pit those two against one another. You can't. uh, They're two separate things. Holy Scripture and Holy Spirit. But they are not enemies. Right? They are two sides of the same coin. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God-breathed. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit, which means very practically that the Holy Spirit will never lead you to do anything that contradicts his word. So, So if somebody says the spirit is leading me to do X, Y, or Z, and that thing contradicts God's word, I think we can confidently say, I don't think that's the spirit. Spirit always pushes us to what's in line with Scripture and always magnifies the Father and the Son. So Jesus is promising his disciples he will teach them and remind them. What does it look like for the disciples? Like, get in their shoes. What did this look like for them? I I think very simply and very practically, the Holy Spirit helped some of these disciples write the Holy Scripture that we have today. He reminded them of what was true, which should give you confidence that although broken people wrote the scripture, the perfect Holy Spirit inspired the scripture, and we have confidence of the accuracy of the Bible. He reminded them of what was true, of what Jesus said. So that was them, but what about us? Since none of us are gonna be writing any Holy Scripture anytime soon, what does this mean for us? I think the first is this. The Holy Spirit helps to illuminate the scripture for us. Illuminate the scripture. Now that sounds like a very fancy, mystical word. Very simply, the Holy Spirit helps us to read and understand the Bible correctly. This is a gift that is given to believers. That that all of a sudden, the, the Bible starts to like, everything starts to click. Everything starts to, not everything, but things start to make sense. And and maybe you've experienced this where you put your faith and trust in Jesus and all of a sudden it's like, man, I'm starting to really understand the things in the Bible. I'm starting to connect dots that I'd never seen before. So what the Holy Spirit does, it's almost like a dimmer switch in a room where he's slowly turning up the lights and you're going, man, I never saw that before. Never saw that before. Isn't this awesome? He's illuminating the scriptures. Now, this doesn't mean that every time when you wake up and read God's word, that the heavens are gonna open, you'll get goosebumps and liver shivers. It's not like the normative pattern, right? What this does mean though, what I believe this is a call for is for us to be in our word daily, reading, understanding scripture and the Holy Spirit is promised to help us in that. And it's also a call I believe to stay in Christian community because I believe the Holy Spirit also will use other believers to show you things in God's word that that maybe you'd never seen before. So, the Holy Spirit helps us and teaches us by illuminating the Scripture, but He also reminds us of the Scriptures. He brings Scriptures to mind. And I love this, because honestly, pastorally, when I enter into shepherding others, I'll get into dialogue or I'll be praying for people, and and, and like a passage or a verse will come to mind that I'll, I'll kind of speak over that person. It's like, man, that was so helpful. Or if I'm shepherding my own soul and I'm in a tough spot and I need to hear truth and a verse kind of pops into my head or I was like, oh man, that's what I needed. That's what I needed to hear. I, I think we can safely say that the Holy Spirit guides us into the truth of scripture that he inspired. So if you're not picking up on this yet, It's pretty impossible to obey the commands of Jesus without the power of the Spirit. We can't do it on our own. We need to partner with the Spirit. I believe this is one of the reasons Jesus said, it is better for me to leave and to send my Holy Spirit. It's that important. So how do we obey God's commands? We embrace power, relationship, Scripture, and finally the peace that Jesus offers us. Verse 27 Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. Again, remember the context. Jesus is about to leave and he is comforting his disciples. And he is saying, I'm going to give you peace. How do you think that peace is going to be provided? I'm going to sound like a broken record. The Holy Spirit Galatians five tells us the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. The Holy Spirit is gonna provide that peace for us. But this is a peace that is very different from what the world or our culture has to offer. When we think, or our world thinks of peace, we typically think of temporary happiness or an absence of, of like conflict or turmoil. But this kind of peace that Jesus is promising is much deeper. It's the kind of peace that remains even in the midst Of turmoil in life. The kind of peace that maybe you see it in people where they just have this like calm, humble confidence about them, even in the sufferings of life. And you go, how do you have that? Jesus is telling his disciples, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Rather, dive headfirst into my peace. Now, how is it we can have this peace? Or maybe I'll ask it this way. Why should we not be fearful? So my, my sport in high school was basketball. Uh, I went to Iowa Mennonite School. Uh, we had some great basketball teams. So it was a really big deal. My sophomore year when I was given a varsity jersey and brought onto the team. I'll, I'll never forget that moment of when I got, I remember where I was at when I got the jersey and bringing it home. So excited to tell my parents. And it was awesome because that year, my sophomore year, we had an awesome senior class and we made a deep run in the state tournament, which means... I kind of got some of the perks that came with being on the team. So I got to miss school and jump on the bus and and go with the team to Des Moines, got put in a hotel with the team. And then like the state paid for uh, like all of our meals. And we ate at uh, Spaghetti Works, uh, which is where I fell in love with pesto pasta and has nothing to do with the sermon. I just felt like you should know that. Some of you guys like pesto. How's he going to tie that into the Holy Spirit? Um, But more than having benefits and perks, I was on the team, which means when the team won, I won. And when the team lost, I lost, but we didn't lose like at all. That whole season, my my sophomore year, we went undefeated in the regular season, made a run in the tournament and lost in the state championship to North Mahaska 75 to 63. And I'm telling you guys, I did not play a minute in that whole game. And I went into that locker room and cried like a baby. I was so devastated. And uh, if you're wondering, we did get back to the state championship my senior year and one of my teammates missed the game tying shot at the buzzer and we lost 47 to 44 to Northwood Kensett. The good news though, is I definitely don't live in the past and I'm clearly over all of that. So. (laughs) But when I was brought on the team That had implications for my life, not only benefits, but what was true of the team was true of me. In the same way, when we have union with Christ, when we put our faith and trust in him, that has very real implications for our life. Let's go back to the text. Jesus shows us why we can have peace. Look at verse 30. I will not talk with you much longer because the ruler of the world is coming. He has no power over me. Jesus here is reminding his disciples that they are at war and their enemy is real and his name is Satan. And Satan was about to take his best shot at destroying the son of God. John 13, 27 tells us that Jesus, or, uh, Satan entered Judas and Judas went on to betray Jesus, handed him over to the bloodthirsty religious leaders of the day. And many of us know the story. He was, he was put in front of the Sanhedrin Tried unfairly. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter before Pontius Pilate, beaten, mocked, scorned. And then he was taken to Golgotha where he was nailed to a cross and died. And it was very likely in that moment that Satan thought he had won. He just killed, just killed Jesus. The Son of God is dead and likely for the next couple of days the disciples probably felt how i felt in that locker room after the state championship my sophomore year they probably felt like we just lost we we identified with this jesus guy he identified with us he became our hero but now he's dead on a cross and now he's in a tomb we just lost But what is it that Jesus tells his disciples in verse 30? The devil has no power over Jesus, zero. Which means as the devil was busy celebrating what he thought was a victory, Jesus was busy preparing his resurrection. The Lion of Judah was about to come roaring out of the grave. The grave had no claim over our king. And Jesus defeated death, which means he defeated Satan. It is done. It is finished. Now, what does that mean for us as believers? Everything. We are in Christ So everything that belongs to him now belongs to us. And we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, which means that now as Jesus has victory over the devil, that includes us. That means we have victory over the devil. So Christians, why should we not fear? Because the devil, our greatest enemy in this life, has been defeated by our king and we are identifying with him. We're on the winning team which means that death has no sting, that fear has no power. It's all gone because the mighty King of Kings has disarmed all of it. The war has been won. This is why we can have peace, Christian. The king has sealed the victory and brought you into his family. As guilty sinners, we deserved wrath from a holy God for our sin. And the devil would love nothing more than to pull us into the wrath that he deserves for eternity. But Jesus came, went to the cross, hung until it was finished, and then rose from the grave claiming the victory. And now we share that victory. Romans 5.1 says that we are justified by our faith, And now eternal peace has been given to us, but with God through Jesus Christ because of his victory rising from the grave. Now let's come full circle. Romans 8, 11, check this out. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Translation, the same spirit that rose Christ Jesus from the dead, Christian, is in you. That is incredible news. That is incredible news. Which means as we look at obeying Jesus' commands, yes, it feels impossible because it is. But the one who calls us to the impossible task provides us with his Holy Spirit to empower us. We are only able to obey Christ's commands by the power of his Holy Spirit as we partner with him. And the same spirit who empowers us to keep Christ's command is the same spirit who gives us peace and the same spirit who reminds us of why we have been given that peace because our great king has claimed the victory and we are in him. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your love for us Thank you for your kindness, uh, your goodness. Thank you that while we were dead in our sins, that you came for us guilty sinners. The foothold of our life was taken by the devil, but you have freed us from all of that. And now we can have peace. We are so thankful that you went to the cross. We are so thankful that you have given us your Holy Spirit to obey you. Until you come back, we are so grateful and we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.